Jim Sherman, recently retired as senior minister of First Parish Unitarian in Brookline, Massachusetts. Now, before entering Unitarian Universalist ministry, Dr. Sherman was for over 20 years a senior manager, an entrepreneur, and an investor in biopharmaceuticals. He's a graduate of Yale College and Harvard Business School, where he received his MBA with high distinction. And he served on the investment committee of the Unitarian Universalist Association. Dr. Sherbrum earned the Master of Divinity with honors from Andover Newton Theological School and later received his Doctor of Ministry and now chairs the board, the board of trustees of Andover Newton, and has been instrumental in helping that school, my alma mater, reimagine itself for profound effectiveness for the 21st century. It is our great pleasure to invite to the Channing pulpit Dr. James Sherwood. Thank you. If you haven't yet noticed, new sound system, preacher's voice. If you haven't yet noticed, we are in a time of transition. And every religious organization in America is trying to adjust and figure out how to deal with these new struggles, these changed environments, how to be prepared for the 21st century, which only makes sense since we're already 16 years into it. <laughs> but I wanted to start by a reading from the interfaith teacher and scholar Joseph Campbell, because he felt no matter what struggles or problems we faced, the key solution was to follow where our joy lies, to follow our bliss, and all else will follow. He wrote, the divine manifestation is ubiquitous. Only our eyes are not open to it. Or is what moves us forward. If you live from your center, the divine lives within you. The center that's apparent in the world is secondary. Beyond the world of opposites is an unseen but experienced unity and identity in all of all of us. Today the planet is the only proper in-group. Participate joyfully in the sorrows of the world. We cannot cure the world of sorrows, but we can choose to live in joy. You must return with the bliss and integrate it. The return is seen, the radiance is everywhere. The world is a match for us. We are a match for the world. The spirit is the bouquet of nature. Sanctify the place you are in. Follow your bliss. Two dozen of us spent much of yesterday struggling with the financial issues facing this community. And I was trying to think of a story that could capture how one finds oneself getting into this place. And I remember the story my father quite liked. Seems a lazy house painter, a bit of a scoundrel, really, routinely cut corners to lower his costs. He would often thin his paint in order to make it go further. As it happens, he got away with it for some time. Then the local Unitarian Universalist congregation decided it finally needed to repaint the entire outside of its building, a very big job, and one that Binfield clearly could afford. So this lazy painter offered the lowest cost bid, and the congregation chose him. I'm sorry to say, 
Even here, he thinned his pain. One day he was up on a scaffolding, painting away, the job nearly done. When he heard a horrendous clap of thunder, the sky opened up, rain came pouring down, destroying all his work. He was knocked to the ground, landing among the gravestones of the cemetery behind the church, surrounded by telltale puddles of thin and useless paint. So the painter fell to his knees, and in the name of all that is holy, asked, Whatever shall I do? From the thunder, a voice spoke, saying, Repaint, repaint, and thin no more. Some Unitarian Universalist congregations, after decades of flat or declining revenues, have gotten into the habit of thinning their paint. They fail to keep adequate building maintenance reserves, spend down accumulated surpluses, use more than they ought to out of their endowment to income to cover operating costs, and generally hope to stretch their resources until the next storm comes. This can proceed for a long time, but ultimately not forever. It comes a day where true stewardship of congregational resources is not just in managing to cover over things with a thin veneer of paint, but rather it involves shepherding congregational resources for the next generation. So when I met with two dozen of you yesterday, I began our time together with a UU small group ministry guide about how one individually and then in the congregation balances life and money. And all of my training says this is the key to human flourishing. It's figuring out how to balance our life and our money. This guide says there are basically three things we do with money. Share it, save it, and spend it. And it recommends it's good to be intentional about how, what these proportions are and disciplined about carrying them out. It asks how do we know what are the right proportions for these three. And it recommends that for individuals, roughly 80% of our income goes to living costs and taxes. 10% savings for future needs in retirement, and 10% tithing for helping others. And that's important that at least 10% goes for helping make the world a better place, whether that's through supporting the church or other acts out into the world. People do not exist to earn and spend money, but we earn and spend money in order to do other things that contribute to our flourishing. We spent half the day yesterday telling each other our stories of about our money, where we came from growing up, how it has affected us over the course of our lifespan. We had a long conversation about how that has impacted our sense of self and our spiritual journeys. As a congregation, you have the capacity to be financially sustainable, but you aren't currently living that way. And so we're trying to bring about a transformation that can allow the congregation to grow back into that role it has had for so many decades of being spirit-filled, following its joy, and financially sustainable. And in order to do that, you have to change some of your ways. Congregational sources and uses of funds tend to vary widely from congregation to congregation, but usually 70 or 80% comes from its members. In our case, through a pledge system where everybody promises what they could afford to contribute in the upcoming year. And then another 5 or 10% from fundraising, and so that no more than 20% is coming from the endowment. It's important to keep it in balance. Thinking of it as the endowment 
is that those who came before have left for us as our resources, and this is a well-endowed community. But if it's primarily funded by people who are no longer here, there's something wrong. Really, 78% has to be funded by the people that are here, and we need to make sure that when, when we leave, those who come after us feel they're also well endowed. Now, use of funds and congregations vary also widely, but roughly they fall into about a third for the minister, about a third for all other staff, and about a third for operating expenses. And it's important to remember that congregations do not exist to raise and spend its money. It can wear you out if you stop feeling like that's what you're doing. But we raise and spend money to do other things that can contribute to our congregational flourishing. Fortunately, most UU congregations fun function quite well, financially sustainable, on about a quarter time. This is when the average member gives 2.5% of their household income. Now, there are many other kinds of denominations that look for a larger share. But we actually, this congregation, when I look at your numbers, if everybody averaged over 2%, we would be fine. It's not that far to go. Now, I have a perspective that I grew up in a poor Baptist minister's family. I'm the fifth of 10 children from a little town in Rhode Island. And my parents, from the earliest time, pointed out that you always tithe first. So 10% of our income always went to support the work of the church. After my father died, my mother relocated to live closer to my wife and I in Concord, Massachusetts, and attended both the local Baptist church and the first parish in Concord. So she asked me, having tithed all her life, would it be okay with God if she split the tithe half to the Baptists and half to the Unitarian Universalists? <laughs> I told her I was sure God approved. <laughs> but then she got to the first annual pledge campaign at the Unitarian Church, and here she had a retirement income of about $30,000 a year. So her tithe, 5%, $1,500 went to Baptists, and they were very pleased with that. And her tithe, 15, 5%, $1,500 went to the UUs. And she saw the pledge campaign saying she was now in the top half of the givers of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Concord, Massachusetts. Now, I haven't looked at your numbers, but I can pretty well guarantee, based on the total numbers you're raising and the number of people you're raising from, this should be the top half of this congregation as well. She asked me why you ministers don't preach more often about the joys of being a cheerful giver. Why she allows people, why the minister allows people to get caught up in the snares of consumerism and don't end up getting the joys of supporting their congregation. She felt anyone in a union congregation with household income above $30,000 ought to pledge more than $1,500 annually. My mother felt that for those pledging less than they were able, that doubling their pledge would double their sense of generosity and gratitude, and any good minister owed them that opportunity. So I'm going to raise up that opportunity for you today. For how we engage with life plays a large part in what we get from our life. It makes a difference. This also applies to how congregations think about their resources. If we engage life from scarcity, there will never be enough. There, there can't be enough. But if we share from our abundance, however little or much that is, we always live in abundance. So why do we have some families here pledging so little? Well, I heard some of the stories yesterday. 
Some people seem to hold back due to congregational controversies. Somebody has done something that hurt them, and so they withdraw back some of their support. Some hold back out of a lack of commitment to the congregation's mission, or not really understanding the mission. Some because they don't like the minister, or they have some other good plausible reason that they can up with. Or because they worry about the congregation's long-term viability. If the congregation can't see its way through to the future, why should I give it my money to do so? But by pledging less than you're able, you actually create the congregation that will fit. You create the circumstances in which everybody else can't make up for what you can't give. Or at best, you create a situation where a congregation struggles year after year. There are families in this congregation capable of pledging $3,000, $5,000, or even $6,000 a year. And thank goodness, many of them do so year after year. But there are households with equal incomes who pledge much less. There are a few families here from whom a $250 annual pledge is generous and appropriate and much thanked for. But there are others who, because of financial constraints or being new to community or never having been taught the joys of pledging 2%, 5%, or 10% of household income to a faith community, also pledge $250 to $750 per year. And this means we are selling them short. Now, this is in socioeconomically diverse communities, so FUCB asks each family to contribute only what is possible given each family's circumstances. Nobody else knows your family's circumstances. But, so there's no judgment attached. You are loved here no matter what. This is a beloved, beloved community where each is loved not according to what they give, but according to the fact that they are human beings and participating in the community. But let's be clear. Lately, this congregation has been thinning its paint. And I have to tell you, I look around and it's starting to show. This community has survived hard times before. This is not the first financial hard time. But you have always had families willing to contribute whatever was needed to bring this congregation into the next generation. For those of you who participate in this community, for those of you who love this community, who have the means, I'm here to tell you it's your turn. This is the time for our generation. Now, growing income inequality in our society means that this is a more disparate situation in this community than it has ever been before. When I look at the data from the census, there are there's families in this community who have 10 times the household income of our families. It's not reasonable to say, well, how much does it cost per household and let's split it evenly. Those with more resources need to step up for more. So I'm going to ask you to rise to the call, but to do it out of a place of love. To discover what makes your heart sing. With Joseph Campbell, where's your bliss? And use that to sustain the future of this community. I call upon all those who could pledge more to join those who are already doing so, but only, not out of a spirit of obligation, only out of a spirit of love, a spirit of joy, Trusting my mother that you will find more joy the more you feel like you're doing your share in this community. Based on yesterday's discussion, I came down here, I was asked, invited down here because you've had a money problem. You don't have a poor money problem. That's not the core of your problem. What's happened is as things have changed, 
Some people have gone with the change, some people have not. Some people have discovered a new direction we ought to be going in, and other people have gone off in a different direction. The problem that I saw yesterday is congregational dysfunction. And it's the dysfunction of the congregation, the crossing currents, the controversies, the lack of willingness to all follow one direction that's causing the money problems. So you need to transform the way you're in community together, and then I'm confident that the funding gap will take care of itself. It will be a byproduct of being beloved community. Be kind, love one another, care for each other, be beloved community. That is the place that the heart needs to turn first, and the finances will follow. It means, though, of course, you're going to, as a community, need to learn how to talk more about money. But I encourage you to talk about money in the context of joy. We spent yesterday exploring how to improve this congregation's relationship with money. But money is, most of the conversation about money yesterday was a source of anxiety for people rather than a source of joy. Increasing the joy that comes in Unitarian Universalist faith is the core to building healthy congregations. As Joseph Campbell says, the divine manifestation is ubiquitous. Only our eyes are not open to it. Open our eyes. If we live from our center, then the divine lives within us. We sanctify this place by the bliss we encounter. We cannot cure the world of sorrows if only we could, but we can choose to live in joy. It is that choice that this community makes this community a worthwhile place to be, to come to on a regular basis. You bring your friends, family, and kids to this place each Sunday because you wish to share the joy you find, to experience what we share in community. What then does it mean to be financially sustainable? When we pledge ourselves one to another, commit money to create transformative programs, can we thereby transform ourselves into generous people? Not only my mother knows it, everybody who looks at any congregational life says, yes, it's the key to it. If we, if we deepen the love and the connection and the sense of community, everything else will follow. I estimate that this congregation has, using my Harvard MBA, based on an extrapolation from your own internal, internal surveys and a zip code analysis, somewhere between 15 million and 17 million in total annual household income. There's more than enough money here. How much of it should you give to the church? The good news is very little. It doesn't take a great deal to maintain this community. If every family in this congregation pledged just 2.5% of their annual income, that would raise your pledges that you would now have in your budget by over 50%, allowing you to maintain current staffing levels, pay all your staff fairly, keep up with the maintenance of this historical building, and dramatically reducing the draw on your endowment and other financial reserves. If you do that, you can go back to what gives you joy. Being financially sustainable means you don't have to focus internally. You can now focus on how do you help transform the world around you. And that has historically been an important mission for this particular community. Now this process, this process is not impossible. It's not even difficult. Over the 10 years that I've served as senior pastor at First Parish in Brooklyn, we actually increased, quadrupled the pledges. But it does require thinking differently about your relationship to the congregation. What do you care about? What makes your heart sing? As a community, are you reaching 
You are now within reaching distance of sustainability and abundant living. The question is, can you make a bigger impact on the world when you have done so? Because financial sustainability isn't about paying you for a service or consumption. Gee, how much did that sermon cost? But rather, it's about engaging with this community in pursuit of life, meaning, and joy. For greater generosity within one's own faith community engenders joy, gives life purpose, connects us with our own humanity, and empowers us to change the world. Giving 2.5% is a great way of expressing your love, and the pledge says it all. Any economically and culturally diverse community must learn how to talk in community about these things. How to be kind to each other. How to be grateful for those people who bring other gifts than those that you have that the community needs. How to be kind to your minister. These are important parts of how you connect to this community. To each find their own joy, to encourage everyone to contribute what they can of their time, their talents, and their treasures to make this community as robust and self-sustaining as possible. Now I'm mindful, and some of you are sitting there thinking, but he doesn't realize that I have a little anxious about money. I have financial problems in my life. Of the two dozen of us, we went around and spent half the day talking about the financial struggles in our lives and the anxiety. I'm well aware of them. But nevertheless, this to be a grounding place where we can plant our faith and watch it bloom. We need to participate in whatever way we can. You use have a very particular way of framing this. It's in the front of the great hymnals. It's in our purposes and principles. You use affirm the worth and dignity of every person, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, and respect for the independent web of all existence of which we are a part. For me, this is more about this community regrounding itself in its UU identity than it is about the money. Who we are as a community of faith, what do we care about, what will we pass to the next generation? If each of us is prepared to remember what we love, what brings us joy, then we will emerge from this financial period as the forebears did of the Great Depression, with balanced budgets, strong internal controls, and a sustainable expense growth rate. Through your love of this congregation, your ancestors built up financial resources and reserves over many generations. It was a way they showed their love. This congregation's recent giving and spending patterns would exhaust those resources and reserves in a single generation, or at most two. It need not be so. Times of financial crisis bring with them opportunities for new life and new joy in community. Many of your stewards of this congregation's future have frankly been forced by these financial shortfalls to stretch the budget too thin, hence metaphorically thinning your paint. With newly renewed congregational resolve, it's possible to return to financial sustainability, to undertake a capital campaign in time for your bicentennial as a congregation, so that you hear me. I want to end by let me speak with the voice of thunder. Repaint! Repaint and thin no more. Follow your bliss. Amen and blessed be.